Well, good morning. morning. Hate to interrupt all the good conversation, uh, but I do just want to encourage you to open up your bulletins. We're just going to go over some announcements this morning. Uh, We wanted to first, uh, first of all, say thank you to the Finney family. Uh, This place is beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and they are the ones who helped with the decorating, so thanks to them. Uh, you'll notice uh, in, the, in your bulletin it says the uh, offering envelopes for 2024 are in the foyer. Um, just by way of reminder, if you'd like to dedicate your offering uh, to specific funds or projects, uh, you must do, do so through the envelopes. Uh, you can, and you can also receive a statement for tax purposes if the envelopes are used. So if you would like to be involved with uh, the envelopes, please talk to Diane Peterson about that. In this week's opportunities, you'll see that tonight at 6.30, we are going to be having our our hymn sing. So I wanted to say a special thank you uh, to Mike Baines and Jeanette, who are leading that up. Uh, So that's going to be tonight at 6.30. Uh, We do also have, in addition to the announcements, tomorrow night, the pulpit committee is going to be uh, meeting tomorrow night, December 4th at 7 p.m. in the Ed Wing. So that'll be this week, and then you can see the rest of this week's opportunities. You'll also notice that back in the foyer we have a Christmas card table that's going to be up until December 17th, and our goal is uh, to, to help uh, take some of the um, pressure off sending, sending uh, cards and alleviate some of the um, envelopes or some of the stamps that we have to spend and to use that money to give towards a missionary. So our missionary that we're going to be looking to support this year is the Rubin family. Uh, Foundations Christian Counseling is also having a Christmas ornament fundraiser. We did this last year as uh, to help sponsor families in needs. So uh, if you're interested in that, there's information there in the bulletin about that. The Heart to Heart group is also going to be having uh, a Christmas luncheon Tuesday, December 19th at 1 p.m. There's a sign-up sheet back in the foyer about that. Um, the last day to sign up for that is December 10th. We do also have, as an insert in the announcements, there's a, a Christmas poinsettia that we're looking to do for the Christmas Eve service. Uh, so if you'd like to place poinsettias in the sanctuary, uh, please fill out that form and get it to Dottie Hefner. Uh, I think those are all the announcements that we have, so I want to turn things over to Brooke, who has a special announcement. First of all, as a member of the fellowship committee, I want to tell all of you who didn't make it last night, you really missed out because I have never seen the 12 days of Christmas sung like the group of people that were there saying it last night. It was priceless. Um, Also, um, I don't Um, I have the blessing of being up here every Sunday, so I don't get to sit down in amongst you. So one of my favorite parts was when we ended with singing some of the Christmas um, carols with Jay playing the guitar. It was absolutely beautiful. So thank you all for attending, and I hope that just sparks those of you that didn't join us to come out next year. I am speaking on behalf of um, Linda. She wasn't able to be here today. And um, she, so when I read this, this is my words. Um, She let me have the liberty of writing it out. And so I am introducing a new ministry to Quinton Baptist. In 1 John 4.19, it says, we love because he first loved us. Mark 12, 30 through 32. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
The message is pretty clear. God's love is essential to living the Christian life. The true this truth coupled with a challenge from our ladies' Bible study from a couple years ago where the author encouraged us to be a river for Jesus, meaning the love and good news of Christ is to flow from our lives into the lives of others. Since that time, this idea has taken hold, and there are several of us who have felt a burden to expand the ministry here at Quinton with the Outreach Network, one where we as a church are looked to for encouragement, comfort, and help. Every ministry needs a leader, and to get the ball rolling, we are blessed that Linda and Dennis Bradway have stepped up and presented and have been approved by the deacons this outreach program to our local communities, which is called Love Thy Neighbor. Our church here in Quinton has a legacy of faith through missions abroad, as well as those locally, including Olympians, VBS, soccer, and basketball camps, and other outreach programs. With that as our foundation, we have a burden for our church to reach our area with ways that are not in a program, but in a form of encouragement and hand of help to those around us. We are hoping to form a network through you as the church, people who can be called upon when there is a need, be it doing something physical, sending a card, making cookies, giving resources to those in need. We'd like to be a presence in Quinton and Laura Alloway schools. Linda has already been in contact with the personnel in both schools to ask how we can be of a service. Quinton School is in need of personal hygiene items and clothing from size three to size seven and eight. And I know this seems odd, but um, some children come with clothing that is not in good repair or needs, it's just not washed or they have an accident or whatever and they don't have anything to put them in. So that's why where the clothing comes in. They also are in need of some winter wear. Laura Alloway School has another church helping with clothing, but they also need personal hygiene items. This ministry does have a budget to draw from, but if you have a new or gently used clothing or would like to give towards these knees, please let Linda or I know. Another way to get the ball rolling is we will be handing out cocoa cups the last day of Christmas, right before Christmas break to both schools. In this cup with, will be a package of cocoa, it's a to-go cup, Christmas cup, with cocoa, a candy cane, a pair of knit gloves, and a slip of paper um, with the message from our church and the list of our programs and church services to hand to each child, we all, which has been approved by the school. We also plan and have permission to do cookie trays to be put in the teacher's break room with a note to let the faculties of these schools know we are praying and available. The plan is also to reach out to first responders in the area with treats and messages of prayer and support. For right now, we are getting the word out with these acts of encouragement so that when greater needs arise, the people of this area know that they can count on Quinton Baptist Church to be there for them. In the back on the table, there's a sign-up sheet if you would like to be a part of this network for this ministry. Be a cookie baker, card sender, helping hand, or however you feel like you can help. Thank you in advance for being the hands and feet of Jesus to our area. Good morning. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can gather here as one body in Christ and sit under the truth of your word. Father, we just pray that all of our minds and hearts will just be clear of the, the events of the world and focused on you. We pray that you'll give Pastor Jay liberty to speak your word. We pray for the praise and worship team that um, 
we may honor and glorify you, and we thank you in all things in your name. Amen. Once again, we mark the beginning of the season, preparing for the celebration of the coming of the Lord Jesus into our world. Each candle will be lit on the Advent wreath, and it will serve as a reminder of events and people involved. The first candle is the prophet's candle. Through the dark centuries, people looked ahead to the coming of the one who would dispel the darkness. The prophet Isaiah wrote, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land and of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus. Please stand.
Please be seated. love us. You came to this earth to die for us. And Lord, as we start the Christmas season, we pray that the reality of it all would be real to us. All that you've done for us, all that you've done coming to this earth as a baby in a manger and growing up and going to the cross for us. I pray that that would ever be before us. And we praise you for that this morning. And Lord, it's in your name that we come before you with these prayer requests, Lord, and we do just pray for Josh Thomas, Lord, we, we just pray for him and uh, just everything he's going through. We pray for comfort for him. We pray for encouragement for him. We pray for comfort for the family. We pray that there would be healing. But Lord, we do uh, just pray that through all of it that he would be uh, holding close to you and encouraged through you. Lord, we do just continue to pray for uh, caregivers within our congregation, Lord. We know that there's a lot of people who... Uh, are spending their time taking care of other people, Lord, uh, taking care of people. And Lord, we know that that's uh, an important thing. It's, it's a labor of love. And Lord, I do just pray that you'd bless those who are in that position right now. Lord, we do uh, just continue to pray for our, our upcoming events here as a church. Lord, we pray for the whole Christmas season, all the different Christmas events, the uh, kids' Christmas, the youth group Christmas, the college and career Christmas, the heart-to-heart Christmas event, and uh, the Christmas Eve service, Lord, we do just pray that it would be a time uh, of people looking to you, Lord, not just uh, enjoying the Christmas season and having uh, joy as a whole, but Lord, having joy in you, having joy that you're the one uh, who made this whole thing possible. And Lord, we do uh, just pray for those dealing with sickness this season, Lord, and I know it seems like every other day I'm hearing another person getting sick, and Lord, we do just pray that you'd bring healing to those who are sick, that you would uh, prevent it from spreading, Lord, that pe- more and more people wouldn't keep getting sick. Uh, but Lord, we do just pray for complete healing for everyone who is sick. Lord, we do continue to pray for Israel right now. And Lord, we do just pray for protection for them. Uh, we pray for uh, just everything happening with uh, just different conversations that are being had about uh, ceasefires and hostage exchanges and all those different things. Lord, we do ultimately pray that there would be able to be peace, Lord, and we pray that you would stand and protect Uh, your people, and you stand to protect the innocent, Lord. We do just pray that you would uh, uh, just be there as a protector of the innocent. And Lord, we do just pray that there would be able to be peace in that area again. And Lord, we do uh, just pray for the Rubens, our missionaries of the month, Lord. We do just pray that you'd continue uh, to bless them in their ministry, Lord, as as, uh, we just are going to be remembering them uh, with the envelopes that we're doing, Lord. We do just pray that it would be a blessing to them this Christmas season. And Lord, we do just pray now for the rest of the service, Lord. We pray that you continue to uh, bless the service, that you continue to uh, just help us to look to you during this service. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Please stand, and as we sing, children in first through third grade are dismissed for Children's Church.
Please be seated. Scripture reading today is found in Exodus 32, verses 1 through 10. Exodus 32, 1 through 10 reads, Now the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. The people gathered to, to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that we shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of Egypt, we, don't, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands, and he fashioned it with the graving tool and made a molded calf. Then the people said, then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down. For your people you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They had made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen the people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that, I, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make you a great nation. Let's open up in prayer. Lord, we come before you as humble people, as people who are before a magnificent God. But Lord, we come before you as your people who you care for and you speak to. And we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Some of you guys may recognize on the PowerPoint, there's the Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk has been uh, quite... Uh, feature in the past 15 years or so in a lot of different Marvel movies. He's a comic book character, but what's interesting about him is that his power and his strength comes from his anger. That the angrier he gets, the stronger he gets, the more powerful he gets, but also the less in control he gets. He is quite literally the personification of uncontrolled anger. Just this ball of fury that moves forward. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like maybe you were having uncontrolled anger? 
or maybe you saw it in somebody else. It's not necessarily a pretty sight to see uncontrolled anger. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the wrath of God, and I want to say that it's not this uncontrolled anger the way that we get in the picture of the Hulk. It's a very intentional wrath. It's something that is very serious, and as we approach this topic, it is a very serious topic, but it's not this uncontrolled, unhinged God, but a God of intentional wrath. So we're going to be looking at the God of wrath this morning. There's two things that we're really going to be looking at this morning. The first one is what causes God's wrath, and the second one is what calms God's wrath, or what brings peace to God's wrath. We're in Exodus chapter 32 this morning. We're continuing our series, going deeper with God, looking at Moses through Exodus. And so far, God has sent the plagues and brought the Israelites out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've gone through the wilderness. They've come to Mount Sinai. And here at Mount Sinai, God says, I'm going to form this covenant relationship with these people. And then over the past two weeks, we've looked at some of the rules that God gave for that covenant relationship. The Ten Commandments is what we've looked at this past, the past two weeks and the rules that God gives on how this relationship between God and Israel is supposed to look. And now we're going to jump about 12 chapters forward. The next 10 chapters or so is mainly just more instruction by God for Israel. He spends about five chapters talking about how the tabernacle is supposed to be built and uh, uh, just how the Israelites are supposed to conduct themselves. But we're going to jump all the way up to chapter 32. And we're going to see what Israel is doing while God is giving these instructions. Because what happens is Moses goes up on the mountain to receive these instructions from the Lord, and Israel stays at the foot of the mountain, and they do some pretty horrible things. And they cause God's wrath to come on them. So let's look at what causes God's wrath this morning. Sin provokes God's wrath. Let's read in Exodus chapter 32. We're going to start in just verse 1. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together with Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So it starts with Israel getting impatient. We know from Exodus chapter 24 that Moses spends 40 days and 40 nights up on the mountain with God. And at some point in time during those 40 days, the Israelites started to talk amongst themselves. They started to grumble. They started to say, is Moses coming back? Is he abandoned us forever? What's the situation here? Moses was their connection with the Lord. He was the one who was supposed to represent them to the Lord and represent the Lord to them. And they felt disconnected from the Lord. And you say, after 40 days, can't they just be a little bit more patient? I mean, think about all that they've seen so far. They've seen the ten, uh, the 10 plagues. They've seen the Red Sea parted. They've seen manna in the wilderness. They've seen God descend on the mountain with thunder and lightning and earthquakes. They know God is there. Can't they just be a little bit more patient? But how often are we like that? You know, 40 days ends up being a long time for us because we quickly forget things God has done for us. We're so quick to forget. And just like Israel, we often get impatient. We don't like to wait on things. We like to jump in. We like to get going. And that's what Israel is. So what happens after their impatience? Well, they turn to 
sin. Verse 2, so Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So what does Aaron do? As the people are impatient, he says, all right, let's get a physical God that you guys can worship before you guys. So he asks everyone to give their gold. So everyone starts taking off their earrings of gold and they give it all to Moses. Now what's important, or not to Moses, to Aaron. Now what's important about this gold is this would have been things, spoils that they had brought from Egypt when God brought them out of Egypt. A lot of this gold would have been provided directly from God himself through the Egyptians. But that wasn't enough for them they very quickly turn it over to Aaron. Why? Because they want something. They want something that they can see. They want something that they can touch. They want something that they can bow down to. They want a physical God. And that's what Aaron does with it. He fashions this golden calf for them to worship. And he presents it to them. It's presented, it says, this is your gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Think about that for a second. This golden calf is getting credited for something that God has done. And they say, this golden calf, this is the one who did it. And the people believe that. The people buy into it. And they worship a false idol. The God is on a mountain. And we talked a few weeks about the fact that God cannot be contained in any idol. He's the God of the mountain. And they said that is not enough for us. We want something that we can look at. We want something that we can touch. We want something that we can feel. It wasn't enough to just trust God. They needed something else. So they turned to this calf. And then they start worshiping it. This is what it says in verse 5. It says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So Aaron starts setting up this worship of this idol. He builds an altar before the idol. He starts offering sacrifices and offerings on that altar before the idol. What's ironic about this whole thing is that Moses is up on the mountain receiving instruction about how to build the tabernacle, which is the place where the altar is supposed to be, the place where the sacrifices are supposed to be. Moses is receiving those instructions, but the Israelites don't want to wait. So they build their own altar. They offer their own sacrifices to this golden calf. And then Aaron declares this feast. He says, we're going to have this huge feast to the Lord. And it says they eat and drink and they rise up to play. You know, that phrase, rise up to play, we're not exactly sure what that means. It has a couple different potential meanings. It could be something as innocent as just a party that they're having with singing and dancing, or it could be something a little bit more sinful. Uh, We're not exactly sure what exactly is meant by that phrase, but at the very minimum, they are having this party for a golden calf. And they've turned their worship from God to worshiping a calf. They've broken the second commandment, you shall have no other, or you shall not make a graven image, and they've broken the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. So how does God react to that? He reacts in wrath. Read verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Go down 
For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped sacrif- it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I might make, may make you a great nation, make a great nation of you. So God's wrath burns against them. He says, these Israelites who I was supposed to have this covenant relationship with have already corrupted themselves. They've already broken my commandments. They've already created this false God that they've started to worship and they give it credit for things that I've done for them. He calls them stiff-necked people. That idea of stiff-necked people is going to reoccur throughout Israel's time that they are people who are stubborn against God. And it says God's wrath burns against that. And then he says, Moses, I'm going to destroy them and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Think about that. He makes a similar statement to Moses so that he had originally made to Abraham that he was going to make Abraham into a great nation and now he's saying, Moses, I'm going to get rid of them and I will start over with you. And we're going to see how Moses responds to that in just a second. But before we get there, I want to draw some things about God's wrath. What causes God's wrath? And the answer is sin. It's the sin of Israel that causes God's wrath, the unrighteousness of the people that they've corrupted themselves. And that sin of theirs is provoking God's wrath. God's wrath is a continuation of His justice. So often we talk, when we talk about God, we like to talk about His grace and His mercy and His compassion and His love, and those are all very real parts of who God is. But God is also a God of justice. And God is a God who hates sin. And He's a God who is angry at sin. It's not just the God of the Old Testament. I feel like oftentimes the God of the Old Testament is said, oh, that's an evil God, but when you get to the New Testament, God's different. And it's not. God doesn't change. It's the same God. We see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It goes on to describe the sins of man. And the fact of the matter is, this isn't just an Old Testament God, it's not just a New Testament God, it's one God, and he hates sin. And sin causes his wrath. And that's very important for us because each one of us is a sinner. Each one of us has sinned before God. We are each deserving of God's wrath on ourselves. I want to start by just stressing the importance of our own sin. How do you feel about the sin that's in your life? Oftentimes, we like to make excuses for our sin. We like to sweep it under the carpet like it's not that big of a deal. We like to say, well, I only did it because of such and such, or I'm not really responsible here for my sin. But the fact of the matter is, we are responsible for our sin. And each one of us is a sinner. Does that sin of ourselves make us angry? the way that it makes God angry? If you're dealing with some sin in your life over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about a handful of different sins like the Ten Commandments and different things like that, but if you're dealing with a sin in your life, 
Does that sin make you angry? Or do you excuse it away? Does that sin cause you to say, I need to do something about this? Or do you like it? I think we need to come to a reality about our sin. That it angers God. If we're going to do something about our sin, we need to start by getting angry at it and saying, I want to stop this. I want to overcome this. So then what comes next? You know, we're people who are under God's wrath because of our sin. How does that wrath of God get calmed? And the answer is that peace comes through a mediator. Moses steps in here in Exodus 32, and he brings about peace. And then, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Exodus 32, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about our peace and how we have peace with God. But starting here in verse in Exodus 32, it starts with Moses making an appeal to God. Moses turns around and he says to God, starting in verse 11, it says, But Moses implored the Lord and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you have swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken, spoken of bringing on his people. So Moses gets involved and he makes this appeal to God. It's the first of two appeals he's going to make in this chapter. But his first appeal is, Lord, please do not destroy them. Please relent from the disaster that you are going to bring upon them. Don't be wrathful at them. Don't be angry with them. And Moses' appeal is grounded on three things. And all three things are about God and not about the people. He says, God, remember, you're the God of these people. He start, that's what he says in verse 11. He says, these are your people who you brought out with a strong hand. If you read back in verse 7 when God is angry, how does God refer to the people of Israel? He calls them Moses' people. He said, Moses, these are your people that you brought out of Egypt. And Moses turns around in verse 11 and says, no, they are your people, God, who you brought out of Egypt with your strong hand. Remember, these are your people. And that's his first appeal. They're God's people. The second appeal is for God's reputation. Moses says, think of the Egyptians. What are they going to say about all of this? They're going to mock God. They're going to say, God just brought these people out of Egypt so that he could destroy them. The purpose of Israel was always not just for God to have them as his people, but for God to use Israel to reach out to the world so that the world would recognize the Lord. And Moses is saying, listen, if you carry out your wrath and destroy them, then the Egyptians are going to look down on you. Your reputation is going to be tarnished. So that's the second appeal that Moses makes. The third appeal that he makes is, Lord, think about your promises. Moses says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the forefathers that you made the promises to, that you were going to make them into a great nation. Stand behind the promises that you have made. You're a God of promise, and you keep your word. So that's Moses' appeal to God. Notice they're all about God. None of them are about Israel, that Israel deserves it. 
They're all about God and who God is. And then in verse 15 we get, or 14, we get that God turns away his wrath and relents from the disaster that he's going to bring. But that's just the beginning of Moses' work as the mediator. Because the mediator deals with both God and the people. The mediator is the one who goes between God and the people. Moses first makes his appeal to God, but then he goes down to Israel and he deals with Israel. Moses goes about purging Israel. I'm not going to read every verse uh, going forward in the rest of the chapter, but I'd encourage you guys to read along with me. I'm going to kind of summarize some of the things that Moses does through the rest of this chapter. The first thing that he does is he exposes the Israelites' sin. It says he's coming, Moses comes down from the mountain. It takes time to tell us that he's carrying the tablets of the testimony, which are two stone pieces that have written on it the very words of God, the words of the covenant. And Moses is bringing that down from the mountain. And as he comes down from the mountain, what does he hear? He hears singing. He hear, and he gets to the bottom of the mountain. He sees the people. And he sees what they're doing. Them worshiping this golden calf. And Moses says this is sin. What he does right there at the foot of the mountain is he takes the tablets and he throws them down and he smashes them on the ground. Now this was not just some... A crazed idea that Moses had where he kind of lost control for a second. Moses was angry, but he was very intentional with how he carried out that anger. He was looking to expose to Israel the fact that they broke God's promises. It says he does it at the foot of the mountain. That would have been the meeting place that everyone would have gathered when he first came down from the mountain. It's where they would have met with Moses to hear the words of the Lord, and Moses takes that moment right there to destroy the tablets. And he's sending a very important message. You've broken the covenant with God. So that's the first thing he does. He exposes their sin to them by showing them that what they did broke God's covenant. The second thing he does is he eliminates the source. In verse 20, this is what it says he does. It says, He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. He eliminates the calf. Completely, 100%. It's not just a, let me throw this, throw this in the trash can, but they could probably go get it back if they want. It's not even break it into a couple pieces, but they could maybe reassemble it if they want. No, that's not what he does. He burns it, and then he grounds it into a powder, and then he spreads that powder on the water, and he makes the people of Israel drink it. Why does he do this? There's probably three main reasons he does this. First, it makes the Israelites take accountability for their actions. It makes them actually have to drink the, gold, the gold, golden water uh, that, that they had caused. But the second thing that it would have done is it would have completely eliminated the golden calf. There was no way of it coming back. It was literally being spread over the, cross, over the entire camp. And the third thing that it would have done is completely disrespect the golden calf. Back then, if, they ha- if there was an altar or a statue to somebody and they wanted to get rid of that statue and desecrate it and uh, make it an embarrassment, they would do something like this, completely destroy it, literally scatter it as much as they can, completely eliminate any source of the statue. Think about this. This golden calf that these people were worshiping as gods were going to pass through people's digestive system. That's an insult to that golden calf. And Moses says, I don't care. That's not a real thing. This golden calf is not something that I have any care for. I'll completely get rid of it. And I'll completely insult it in the process. 
And that's what Moses does. But Moses doesn't stop there. He then turns to the leaders. He goes to Aaron in verse 21. He says, Aaron, what are you doing? How can you lead the people in such a great sin? And then we get Aaron's reaction. Now, this is an important moment because Aaron is not done serving Israel. He's going to go on to be their high priest. So Moses, or so Aaron is actually a very important person who committed a very bad sin. So his reaction is very important. And what's his reaction? To make excuses. He says, Moses, you know how these people are. They're an evil people. They forced me to do it. And then he pulls out a second excuse, which is even more laughable. He says, I just took this gold, I tossed it into a fire, and out came a calf. It's completely an accident here. I did not intend for this. That just happened. But Moses doesn't let him just get off the hook, right? Moses holds him accountable. He deals with Aaron. Now, we don't get in that paragraph exactly where Aaron, where Aaron went next from that, but we do see in just a second where Aaron went next that he rededicates himself to God. But Moses takes time to deal with the leadership because the leadership is what's going to guide the people. It's what guided the people in this sin. And he said, if, I'm, if we're going to purge Israel, we have to deal with the leadership. And then Moses does one more thing, and that's he purges the camp. It says he calls all the people in the camp. He says, anyone who stands with the Lord, come to me. And it specifically says that the Levites came to him. Now, Aaron was a Levite, so this would have been something that Aaron was a part of. This would have been kind of Aaron's moment of redemption as he comes with the Levites before Moses and what does Moses say to do? Pick up your swords and go through the camp and eliminate the problem. And they literally go through the camp killing people. And Moses says, don't show favoritism. He says, your neighbor, your brother, go kill. Now, this wasn't just random killing. This was intentional killing. Those who were involved with the sin, those who were leading the people in the sin, Moses says, eliminate that problem. Purge the camp. We need to get rid of those who are leading with the sin. And that's what the Levites do. They go through the campuses. They kill 3,000 people. Now, that's an extremely intense moment. It's an extremely powerful moment. And when we look at that, that's kind of a little bit like you pull back from it. You say, wait, why did they, they went around and killed people? Why would they do that? And the answer is because that's how they purged the camp of the sin. That's how they got the camp to move forward. That's how they got the Israelites to refocus was by getting rid of the problem. And what's interesting is what Moses says about this. If you read in verse 29, he says to the Levites, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. Think about that. This moment is what set the Levites in the direction of being the priests of Israel that this is what ordained them for service, was that they went through the camp and they killed to purge the camp of the sin. So Israel is the mediator. He starts by making this appeal to God, but then he comes down and he deals with Israel. He takes action against Israel. He purges the sin from them. And then what does Moses do? He goes back to God. He makes a second appeal to the Lord. I want to read in verse 31. It says, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. 
So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. So Moses makes another appeal to God. He goes back to God, says, maybe I can make atonement for your sin to the people. And he goes back to God, and his appeal to God is actually really simple. He says, listen, Israel sinned a great sin. Please forgive them. It's simple. It's a straightforward message. He doesn't make excuses for Israel. He doesn't try to explain it away. He doesn't say, well, it took you so long, God, up on the mountain giving me these laws that these people got. No, he doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't put any blame on anyone else. He says, these people have sinned. Then he says to God, please forgive them. And then he adds one more statement in at the end. He says, if not, then blot me out too. I am putting myself in with everyone else. Remember what God originally said in verse 10? He said, I'm going to destroy Israel, but Moses, I'll make you into a new nation. I'll start over with you. And Moses says, no, no, no. If you're going to destroy the camp, put me in with it. Blot me out as well. So Moses makes this simple appeal to God, please forgive. So how does God respond to that? Verse 33, but the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people of Israel because they had made the calf the one that Aaron made. So God's response to this is actually very interesting. God responds with mercy, but he also responds with justice. God says, I'm going to relent from the disaster. He says, Moses, you're ready to move on. We're going to move you forward out of of Mount Sinai. We're going to head to where you're going. I'm going to send my angel with you. But God also says, but there's going to be consequences to what happened. And I'm going to visit them the day that I come. And then it says what that visit looks like. It looks like a plague that goes to the camp. So God's response is both mercy and grace and compassion, but also justice for what happened. And as we look forward to next week, we're going to see in chapter 33 that God's relationship with, Mo- with Israel doesn't immediately go back to the way it was. But God does respond with mercy. Peace is brought about. God's anger is calmed because of the work of Moses. Because his appeals to the Father, or, or appeals to the Lord, and because his purging of the camp. So what about us? I said earlier on that I was going to talk about how we have peace with God because we don't have Moses doing these things for us. But we're all sinners. We all bear the wrath of God. How do we have peace with God? And the answer is through another mediator. That mediator is Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We have this new mediator, the one who is between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. He mediates for us, not just in going to before the Lord, but in coming down to us, in dying on the cross for us. And Jesus brings about peace between us and God 
so that we don't have to bear God's wrath. And there are three things about Jesus that I want to bring out that make him a better mediator than Moses ever was. The first reason is that Moses, as a mediator, was only a human. But Jesus is both God and man. Think about this. If you're going to be a mediator between the God of the universe and between mankind, when Moses was the mediator, he was someone who was man, who was a sinful man trying to mediate. But Jesus was not like that. Jesus is the mediator who is both 100% God and 100% man. The incarnate God that we celebrate at Christmas time, God becoming man, and he is both God and man, so when he mediates, he stands as someone who represents both sides. And he's not a sinful man the way that Moses was, the way that we are. He is the perfect man, a righteous man, a truly righteous man. So as he stands as mediator, he stands as someone who is both God and man. The second way that Jesus is a better mediator than Moses is that Moses purged outwardly, but Jesus purges from within. Think about all the things I said that Moses did when he purged the camp. He got rid of the external things. He got rid of the calf. He dealt with leadership. He dealt with the people who were causing the problem. But at the end of the day, all of that is external things. All of that is dealing with the actions, dealing with the physical world. And that's not how Jesus works. He purges from within. When we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes within us. He transforms us from within. It's not just an external, here's your actions thing that he purges. It's the inward heart that he purges within us. And he gives us a new heart. And there's a third reason that Jesus is a better mediator than Moses is that when Moses makes his appeal, he bases it off of God. If you remember, as I talked about Moses' appeal, he says, God, think about your reputation. Think about your promises you made. Think about your people. He makes his appeal based on who God is. And when Jesus makes his appeal, he bases it on his own blood. He says, God, Father, these people are sinners. And your wrath is justified but I'm going to pay it with my blood. And he says, Father, Pastor Jay is a sinner before you. He's someone who is deserving of your wrath, but that sin has been paid for. And now he is pure and righteous in your sight. And that's totally different than what Moses said, right? Moses said, Lord, these people are sinners. Please forgive them. Jesus says, these people are righteous, not because of anything they've done, but because of my blood. He doesn't ask God to overlook sin. He says, the sin is dealt with. The sin is paid for in full by my blood. In just a moment, we're going to take time during communion to remember what Christ did for us, that he came to this earth, he walked among us, then he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Then he rose three days later so that if we believe in him, we can have peace with God. The wrath of God can be satisfied because it gets paid for, not because it gets overlooked, but because Jesus Christ with his blood pays for our sin. That's what makes Jesus such a better mediator than Moses ever was. He's not appealing to the Father based off of his own reputation. He's appealing because of the forgiveness 
because of his blood. We've talked a lot this message about the wrath of God, but we also have to remember that he is a God of grace and of love and one who provided solution for his own wrath in Jesus Christ. So let's cling to him this morning. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we praise you that you are our mediator. That even though we are sinners, we are deserving of the wrath of God. That you stand as our mediator. You've paid for our sins. You give us your righteousness. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what you've done. And Lord, I pray that we would take our sins seriously this morning. Lord, that we wouldn't just excuse it away, we wouldn't just sweep it under the rug, but we would take our sin very seriously this morning. But I pray also that we would remember that you've paid for our sin. That we are righteous before you. Not because of anything we've done, but because of your own blood. Lord, I pray that we would cling to that this morning, that we would hold fast to you this morning. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. As we prepare for communion, may we remember God's amazing love given to us, our Savior Jesus. Please stand.
Please be seated. This is where we take time and remember what Jesus did for us. See, the simple fact of the matter is peace with God was not free. When we talk about God's wrath and how we can have peace from that, that was not free. Somebody had to pay for it. And Jesus paid that for us. Our mediator went and paid the penalty for our sin with his own life. He went to the cross and he bled and he suffered, and he died. And this time that we're doing right now is for us to remember that. For us to thank him for that, to rejoice in the Lord because of all that he has done for us. This communion table is open to anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone who has that peace with God. It's something that we do not to save us, not because we need to do it, but as a way of reminder as instruction that God has given us to remember Him, to remember all that He has done for us. I want to take a moment before we begin by giving each of you an opportunity to examine your own heart. Look at what's going on inside of you, the sin that is alive and well within you. Turning that over to the Lord. Looking to Him for forgiveness. I want to give you a moment right now to do that. Dave, can you pray for the bread? Father, in a moment we'll be taking this bread as a reminder of your body that was broken for us. Lord, as we have sinned through Adam, and because of our sin, we deserve death. But Lord, you came, and you died for us, so that we may be risen again in full life and eternity to be spent with you. Thank you.
Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was over, Jesus took the cup. Ron, can you pray for the cup? Father, we thank you so much for your redemption through your son Jesus, who willingly went to the cross and shed his blood for our sins. Father, we uh, thank you for his um, great love. We just pray that uh, we'll walk worthy of it. We pray that we'll be uh, willing to share what you've done for us to others that need you. In your name, amen.
Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And now let us pray in the words our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our trespass as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Truly, Jesus has brought joy to the world. Please stand as we sing. As we go out this morning, we want to inspect our own hearts. How are we handling our own sin? Are we dealing with our sin? Are we sweeping it under the rug? Are we going to Christ as our mediator for forgiveness of our sins? Or are we trying to do it ourselves? We can have peace with God. If anyone here needs someone to talk to, we'll have people up front who would love to talk to you, to pray with you as you deal with the things in your life. And Lord, as we go out this morning, Lord, we pray that we would be people who are joyful as we sing joy to the world, Lord. And it's not because of anything we've done. It's because we have a Savior who loves us. And Lord, we pray that we would rejoice in you today. We pray these things in your name. Amen.